you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, you can turn to Jonah chapter 1, and Jonah is one of the minor prophets, which means there's going to be some sticky pages in your Bible that you've never really looked at very much before. It's in that area, and I, and I, I tease you about that, but we don't usually read the minor prophets. Uh, we're not as familiar with the Malachi's and Obadiah's and Zacharias and, and all those guys but there's one minor prophet we are familiar with, and that is Jonah. As you turn there, I'm going to ask the Lord's blessing on our time together in the Word. Lord Jesus, please be with us now. Um, be with the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. May they be from you, and may they be glorifying to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Be with us as we look at the first chapter of Jonah this morning, Lord, I pray that you would stir in us affections for Christ. And Lord, uh, if we be wayward, if, if we're here, Lord, running from you, I pray, Lord, that you would call to us through your word. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray and thank you. Amen. Jonah 1, 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come! Let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, 
And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The next four weeks, Lord willing, we will be going through the book of Jonah. We'll be taking it one chapter at a time. And there's a couple different ways to preach through the book of Jonah, in case you're curious. You can uh, cover it in one week, so all four chapters. Or you can do two weeks, so the first two chapters dealing primarily with Jonah uh, before he gets to Nineveh. And then the second two weeks covering uh, um, Jonah as he deals with Nineveh. But we're going to take it chapter by chapter as we go through this book. And I do want to say thank you so much, church family. Uh, The whole time that I've been here, I've been working on a doctor of ministry and especially the last couple of weeks, uh, first couple of months of this year, it's affected you guys. And um, I know we've had different preachers up here preaching, and they've done a great job, but I appreciate that. And uh, I mention all that because I've been telling a lot of you that we're going to be in the book of John, and I was hoping to be in the book of John right now, um, but uh, because of some things going on with the, my doctor of ministry, they have to check different things. Um, we're here in Jonah, and I think this was what God wanted Um, As I prayed more and more about it, I've enjoyed studying Jonah, and I'm excited that we get these next four weeks to study Jonah. And I'm I'm excited to study Jonah because Jonah is, in some ways, not like other Old Testament books. In other ways, it is. You see, the protagonist, a.k.a. the good guy in Jonah, is really the antagonist, the bad guy. Jonah is a wayward, righteous prophet. A wayward, righteous prophet. Now that's an oxymoronic statement. What do you you mean by a wayward, righteous prophet? Well, you see, Jonah, he's supposed to be the good guy. He's the prophet of the Lord. And yet, many of you are familiar with this book, he runs from the Lord. In that, in that way, Jonah isn't like other Old Testament books. We don't normally see the protagonist running away from God. And yet, as we, as we consider the Old Testament, I mean, even from the very beginning, Genesis, Adam and Eve, or we consider some of the great characters, Moses or David or, or some others, every character in the Old Testament has faults. Every single one of them. Now, some people say, well, Daniel has no faults. Well, we don't know where Daniel is when everyone else is bowing down to the the idol, right? Um, And some people say, well, Joseph has no faults. Joseph may have been a little arrogant. But we know, nevertheless, those men were humans. That means sinners. And you see, even even the best of of the people of the Old Testament, they stand before a holy God still as sinners, still as people who, who need his grace and his mercy. And so in that way, Jonah is a book like the rest of the Old Testament. And friends, what we're going to see, especially today, is that you and I are a lot more like Jonah than we care to admit. You might be sitting here today and you're like, hey, I'm in church. I read my Bible. I am a faithful Christian. In fact, my friends don't have any other Christian friends other than myself I am the Christian in my family. I am the Christian at work. But friends, it doesn't matter your position, even if you're seated right here. You are more like Jonah than what you realize. I am more like Jonah than what I realize. But even as we've already read chapter 1, 
there's some good news for us. Even though we're more like Jonah than what we realize, the good news is this. When you run from God, he mercifully and sovereignly pursues you. That's our big idea. When you run from God, he mercifully and sovereignly pursues you. I just said there was good news, and I, and I share that God's running, he, he's pursuing Jonah. You say, well, what's the good news? He gets swallowed up by a fish. Did you not read verse 17? It is good news, and it is God's mercy. And we'll look at that. Let's start at the beginning. So, Jonah, son of Amittai, who is this guy? Well, the book of Jonah is not the first time that we hear the name Jonah, in fact, in 2 Kings 14.25, we actually come across um, the, his name as um, the writer of Kings is saying, Jeroboam II did this and whatever else. And so we're picking up in 2 Kings 14.25, and it says, he, that's talking about Jeroboam II, restored the border of Israel from Labo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel. Now listen which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hephir. Okay? So this tells us about Jonah. It tells us a little bit about who he was, where he lives, what the, the day and age that this happens. And that's important for us to know. You see, Jonah was not the only prophet in Israel at this time. There were other prophets, but Jonah was the prophet. Jonah was spoken to by God, and every time God spoke to Jonah, Jonah would turn around and he would go tell the king, King Jeroboam II, this is what the Lord God has said. And salvation and wealth and prosperity came through the word of Jonah. You see, uh, back after Solomon was king, Solomon was David's son, the, 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 the kingdom split. You had Rehoboam, Solomon's son, take Judah and Benjamin, and then the northern ten tribes were taken over by Jeroboam I. Jeroboam led the northern ten tribes in idol worship. He led the people astray from the Lord. So, so his dynasty died off quickly. There was another king in northern Israel. His died off. And now we come to Jeroboam II. No relation with the first. They just have the same name, right? So Queen Elizabeth II, right? And you, know, you have different things like that. This is Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II was not a faithful king. He was not a righteous king, but the Lord was merciful to his people in Israel. So much so that these, these towns, which mean nothing to us, right? Does anyone know where Labo Hamath is? No, right? Uh, it's not like, oh, it's up in Auburn, Indiana. Like, we know where Auburn is. We don't know where Labo Hamath is. That actually means something. It means that Israel's kingdom, the northern kingdom, was at its biggest size since King Solomon. They had prosperity. They had wealth. This is the day and age in which Jonah lives. It was right around 793 to 753. But during this time, Jonah is God's prophet. He's the one who everyone wants to hear. Everyone wants Jonah to receive a word from the Lord because it has brought prosperity upon Israel. And it's this Jonah that receives a word from the Lord in Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. 
And the word of the Lord is, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, who's Nineveh? Now, some, some people, they wrongly say that Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. That's true, but not when Jonah's taking place. We know this because we know the dates of when Jeroboam was king. And when Jeroboam was king, it started off that Shalmaneser III was the king of Nineveh. He was the king of Assyria. And so he was taking tribute. He was torturing people. And we'll talk more about that torturing stuff in a second. But Shalmaneser was killed by his son, whose name I cannot even begin to pronounce. I'm not going to try. But his son overthrew him. And we know in the annals of history, that Nineveh was almost completely a total anarchy at this moment in time. It was an independent city-state, much like Athens or Sparta were back in the Greek times. It was an important city to the Assyrian Empire. They would gather in Nineveh all their chariots, all their troops, and then they would head south to defeat Israel and a different nation named Syria, the Phoenicians, collect tribute from others. You see, the Assyrians were the world's superpower. Even though they they weren't all connected, they still were the strongest nation in the world, and they let everybody know it. These Assyrians were terrible people. They tortured uh, their uh, opponents by flaying them to death, you don't know what that is, that's literally they would skin you alive and place you in boiling water or oil. Uh, they would take some kings and they would, they would drive a stake right through their tongue, cut off their thumbs. They would make human shish kebabs. Literally, they would impale people upon one another. Those are just some of the things that I can mention. That's how awful these people were. They were violent. They were wicked And that is who God calls Jonah to. Call out against this city. Now, if I'm the prophet of the Lord, I want Nineveh to be destroyed. But but Jonah doesn't go to Nineveh. We know this. Jonah runs in the opposite direction. Some people are like, uh, they, they think Tarshish is in Spain. That's possible. There's also two other locations. One is in North Africa in Tunisia. The other one's in Greece. Nevertheless, if it's in any of those locations, it's in the opposite direction of Nineveh. It's in the opposite direction of where God has called him to go. Why does Jonah do this? Why does he run away from what God has called him to do? Well, it's possible, it's possible that Jonah was scared. What are they going to do to a Hebrew prophet in Nineveh? This city that's in total anarchy right now. These people who are wicked and vile and torture other people. What are they going to do to me? He could have been scared. It could have been that he hated the Ninevites. And that's possible. Because he probably knew or had family members who had been tortured, raped, and other things. And he did not like the Ninevites in the very least. Or, as some of the Jewish scholars say, Jonah was the most patriotic prophet that they had. You see, uh, Jonah knew that Israel deserved to be judged by the Lord, and he would use the nations to judge Israel. 
And he thought, if I go to Nineveh and they repent, then God's going to use Nineveh to come and destroy Israel. And I love Israel so much, so I want to run away so that they don't repent. It could be a combination of all of those reasons. We're never given the specific reason, but we know this. He disobeys God. He runs away. And Jonah is one of these books that in the original Hebrew language is so beautiful. And there's some clues even in our English. But you see, he, he rose up and he went down to Joppa. Then he goes down into the ship. Then he goes down into the bottom of the ship. And, and what we need to realize is with every step that Jonah runs away from what God's calling him to do, each step he's running in rebellion. He's getting further away from the presence of God. So what does he do? Well, I told you that uh, Jonah was a prophet. He should have known better. I think every sermon I've ever listened to on, German, or on Jonah mentions Psalm 139, 7 through 12. Why? Well, because that was written by David. And Jonah probably knew this word for word. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about, the light about me be night, even the, the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Jonah should know that he cannot flee from the presence of the Lord. And in our text, it says three times he fleed or was trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. But if his theology and his actions were lining up, which that doesn't always happen, right? We don't always have our theology and our actions. They don't always line up. But if it was lining up, he would say, okay, I serve the Lord, the God of heaven and earth who created all things. He's the creator and I can't escape him, nor can I escape his calling. Jonah wants to retire. Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh, so he gets into the ship. And this ship down at Joppa, it was an Israel, Israelite port, but most of the ships were owned by Phoenicians. The Phoenicians came up with the first modern alphabet that we know. They were kind of the Amazon.com back in their day. They traded with all the Mediterranean world. They had some of the best sailors in all the world. They were pagans. And Jonah says, uh, uh, you know, hey, can I hop on your cargo ship headed for Tarshish? And they say, sure, why do, you, why do you want to come with us? I'm running from the Lord. And to these sailors, these sailors, they, they don't really care, right? Okay, yeah, whatever, get in. He goes down and he starts taking a nap. And the Lord in his sovereignty and the Lord in his mercy allows that ship to get off the coast out into the water. And then the, the figurative language, uh, it really happened, but just the uh, poetic language here is, is fun. The Lord hurled, kind of like you would see one of the best major league pitchers of, of my childhood was Randy Johnson. That dude could throw almost 100 miles an hour every time. He's a lefty. I'm not a lefty, so I'm not going to pretend to throw that way. But when he throws, he hurls it. And one time, Randy Johnson threw it so hard, and a bird came flying, and poof, it hit the bird, and the Feathers went everywhere, and, and that's kind of the destruction here. 
Okay, this is the destruction that God hurls this wind, and now the seas rage. Now, these are professional sailors. I told you they're from Phoenicia. They've, they've traveled. They've, they've done this. They're, they're, they're the experts here, and they are frightened to death. They think they're going to die. Uh, you know it's bad when sailors get religious. Okay, I know there's a few Navy men in here, but... <laughs> Let's be honest, they're not known for being super religious. And these Phoenicians, they get religious quickly. They haven't seen a storm like this one. This is a storm of all storms. And it waves their tiny ship. And you say, how do you know it's a tiny ship? Well, I've seen some ancient vessels. They're not large. They're not like our aircraft carriers. But even if we had a a modern-day aircraft carrier and God hurls a great wind and there's a great storm, those aircraft carriers can't do too much about that. And they start taking their cargo, which is their livelihood. Okay, this, is, this is what they survive on. They, they say, we don't care about our livelihood, we want our lives. And they start throwing the cargo overboard. And in the midst of yelling and the wind raging, and, the, and it actually says in the Hebrew, it, um, ampa, ampa, bleh, I can't say that word. Uh, anyway, it, it talks about the ship being like a woman. She's about to break. The ship thinks she's going to break. In the midst of all this, the screaking, the water coming in, the wind howling, the sailors cursing and calling out to their gods, Jonah is asleep. And the captain gets down there, the, the, the chief sailor, and he, he you know, runs down. What are you doing, you sleeper? You lazy bones. Like, how can you sleep through this? We're all going to die and you're sleeping? It wears you out running from the Lord. So Jonah gets up. And the captain, the pagan captain says, call out to your God. Generic God. In your Bibles, it should be a little g God. Because maybe that God will hear us. The pagans have more faith than Jonah at this point. And they're about to die. And the sailors go, well, we want to know why we're dying. So we're going to flip the dice here. It's not your fault, not your fault. Who are you? Now, there's a lot of questions, and I try to read them fast because it's, there's not really a different way to write in the English. You know, um, they did not say, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? Like, no, they're all yelling at the same time, right? What's going on? And Jonah just stops as the water's rushing in, as the wind's howling, and he gives this word. He says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. So now they're listening. Now these pagan sailors are listening. This is a guy who made, or this is a guy who serves the God who made the sea and everything. And he's mad. And now they say, what should we do? And they're yelling this, what should we do? They can't hear each other. The rain's coming in. The waves are hitting them. They're just trying to hang on. 
And Jonah says, throw me overboard. The pagans, they don't want to throw him over. They don't want to kill him. So, so they take their oars and they try to row back and they can't do anything. Wave after wave. And you can only imagine God up in heaven like, come on, seriously? No, you can't do this. They get nowhere. So the men, the pagans, they cry out to the Lord. Have you noticed here, Jonah never cries out to the Lord. Jonah never repents in chapter 1. Jonah wants to flee. It's not the Lord who said, Jonah, be thrown into the sea. That's Jonah's idea. He'd rather be dead than obey the Lord. So these pagans, they cry out to Yahweh. These pagans cry out to him. And they hurl Jonah into the sea. I want to tell you some facts here. Um, the Old Testament, just a little bit before Jesus was born, was translated into Greek, okay? Because the whole ancient world pretty much spoke Greek, at least around the Mediterranean. And it's called the Septuagint. Sometimes you'll see LXX in your Bible. That means Septuagint. And what they translate here for when Jonah hits the water and everything gets calm is the same translation of when Jesus calms the storm. When Jesus says, quiet, be still, and everything. And I tell you all that because what, what happened is when Jonah was thrown into the water, remember, this is like the storm of all storms. As soon as he hits the water, everything is calm. The wind stops, the waves stop, everything is eerily calm as Jonah sinks to the bottom of the ocean. Here, here's a prophet who just said, I serve Yahweh, the Lord who made all things, the earth and the sea. And these pagan sailors who do not believe in the Lord, they are not Hebrews, they do not care about the Lord, they are brought to utter amazement. Just like the disciples, when Jesus called them the sea, they said, who is this? And these pagan sailors say, wow, the Lord is God. And what they are caused to do is they worship. <laughs> Jonah, was still, Jonah was still an evangelist to pagans, even when he was trying not to be. That's how God can sovereignly work his will. We're going to talk more about the verse 17 next week, but Jonah's swallowed by a giant fish. Now, some people think that Jonah is absolutely not real because no one gets swallowed by a giant fish. And if that is your, like, if you're caught up in that, whoo, man, you're going to have some other serious problems with the Bible. <laughs> because what we believe is in the resurrection of the dead and that God created all things. God can do anything. And Jonah was swallowed up in the fish. What does this mean for us? Well, I told you at the beginning of the sermon that you are a lot more like Jonah than what you may realize. Are you running from God right now? Are you running from his will? You see, uh, you are more like Jonah than what you realize. And when you run from God, 
he's going to mercifully and sovereignly pursue you. But I use that word you. Who, who is you? Well, when I say the big idea, you, I, I'm saying people who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, people who are God's people, can be exactly like Jonah. Jonah is the prophet of the Lord. He is the one who's talking to God, and it's through Jonah that the Lord's bringing salvation for Israel. He loves the Lord. He wouldn't even be the person that's sitting in the chairs. He would be me. And yet Jonah runs away from the Lord. I was sitting with the uh, high school and middle school students in Sunday school this morning, and we were reading out of 1 Corinthians where it says, take heed lest you fall. And friends, I, I don't know your personal, personal hearts, like your heart of hearts, you know, what goes on in your mind, in your, in, your, in your brain. But you do, and God does. And you know if you are running from the Lord right now. You can be seated here in church, you can be reading your Bible, you can be praying, but you might be running from God. And yet, God mercifully and sovereignly pursues after you. Why does he do that? Why would he run after us when we run from him? We don't deserve it. <laughs> but our text shows us the character of God, that God is a merciful God and God is a sovereign God. And we see his mercy displayed in the fact that the Lord would even call Jonah to Nineveh. Nineveh is not God's people. Nineveh is wicked and vile, and the fact that God would send his prophet, Jonah, to go warn them of the impending doom for their sins is an act of mercy. But then the rest of Jonah 1 is Jonah running from God. And God pursues Jonah through the hurling of the wind and the great storm. And God pursues Jonah, yes, even in verse 17, when he's swallowed by a fish. It also shows the sovereignty of God, that he is Lord over all creation, because he created it, he made it. He's able to hurl those winds, and he's able to bring storms into your life to bring you back to him. You know what's, uh, what's interesting is not, not every bad thing that happens to you is because of your sin. That, that's not true. Read Job or, or read John chapter 9 where there's a man uh, who, who's born blind. And the disciples ask Jesus, well, you know, who sinned, this man or his parents, that you know, he's blind? And he, and he says, neither. Sometimes the Lord brings hardships into your life because he just wants to manifest his glory. But there are other times, friends, there are other times when you are running from what the Lord has for your life. And the Lord loves you, and he disciplines those he loves. Yet, you and I still flee from God's love. One of my girls, Emma, sometimes she will just give me the biggest hugs. And other times, when I get home, I'll come down, hug one of my kids, and I go, Emma, 
I love you. And she goes, ah, and runs away. The Lord has the same fatherly love that I have for Emma. He, he pursues us. So you know what I do at home? I run after Emma. <laughs> I make sure I get her and I hug her because I love her. Yet you and I continue to flee from God's love. How do we do that? And why do we do that? Well, when you're running from God, you're actually running from his presence. That's what Jonah's fleeing from. He's fleeing from God's presence. He can't even be around God. He can't be around God's people. He wants to go, in his mind, to the other side of the world. Maybe you're fleeing God's presence right now. Maybe you cannot be close to the Lord right now. There is something going on in your life so bad. And you just, Lord, I don't know what you're doing here. I just don't even want to pray. I don't want to read my Bible. I, I don't want to come to church. And the Lord sovereignly has placed you here this morning to hear this message. But when we run from God's presence, we're also ultimately running from his mission and calling on our life. Jonah's running from God's calling. He's supposed to go to Nineveh. He's supposed to call out and preach against them. But your calling that the Lord has for you, maybe it is to share the gospel. And I know we talk a lot about that here. I know that's like been like some of the application in almost every sermon for a very long time. But that's because it's really important and we don't do it. But maybe the Lord's calling you right now to go to that neighbor that you absolutely cannot stand and share the gospel. Or that coworker who is just vile and you do not want to go and talk to that person. You're going to get cussed out. Or, or, or maybe, maybe the Lord's calling you to just follow him in believer's baptism, and you've never done that. Whatever he's calling you to do, if you're not doing it, you're running from him, and you're like Jonah. And when you run from his mission, and you run from his presence, really what you're doing is you're running towards an idol. You're running towards your idol. And you might say, well, Chase, I never saw an idol here in Jonah 1. Jonah's not going towards any idols. He is. It's not idols made of metal or wood, but it's an idol of his own making and his own heart. Jonah doesn't want to obey the Lord, and so he runs after what Jonah wants to do. Jonah wants to get out of here. Jonah wants to flee. Jonah wants to go to the other side of the world and not have to deal with the Ninevites or obey the Lord. Friends, most of you do not have idols that look like a Buddha. Most of you don't have idols in your life that, that are made of metal or wood. Most of your idols are right here in your own heart. Most of your idols are you pursuing what you want to do instead of what God's calling you to do. And there might be people in here this morning that are actually called to be missionaries. Like the Lord has really placed that on your heart to go to the other side of the world and tell others about Christ and you don't want to go. Jonah had an idol of comfort. Everything was going really, really good in northern Israel. The, the, all, the, all the land was there. The prosperity was coming in. He was, he was God's prophet, but he was the people's prophet. Everything's going great for Jonah there. Why would the Lord call him out of his comfort? to go and serve him in Nineveh, 500 miles away from where he was. 
to wicked and vile people? Why would the Lord call him to be messy? Jonah had an idol. And you see, the thing is about idols, we can always talk ourselves into serving idols, right? Jonah may have had this thought as he's walking through his head, as he's going the opposite direction of Nineveh. Well, you know, if, there, if there's a ship in Joppa, and, and uh, maybe, maybe I can get on it. That'll be God's will for my life. There's a ship in Joppa. Oh, wow, look, there's, there's a ship. Okay, I'll get on it. Where are you going? Tarshish? Perfect. It's, it's kind of like... I went on vacation uh, last week, and it's kind of like uh, when Kelsey and I were driving on the way down to Florida, um, I just happened to be thinking about little Debbie's, okay? You know, those little cakes, <laughs> they're all good. Like, it doesn't matter. I don't have a favorite. They're all good. And I was thinking about those. I'm like, man, I would love a little Debbie's. I'm also trying to lose weight. I'm, like, I'm just, I'm, I have my dad bod going on. I need to lose weight, right? And so I'm like, oh, no, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't get those. Then guess what happens? A semi of little Debbie's passes us. <laughs> but I resist. I resist the temptation. Okay, so, so we're down there in Florida for four days, and then we, we start driving back. Another semi passes us. Okay, now this, you know, that I, then another one. And then at that point, I just said, all right, we have to get some little Debbie's when we get home. <laughs> We can always find a reason, right? We can always talk ourselves into doing what we want to do in our own hearts. Why? Because we, can make Id- because we do make idols out of ourselves, out of what we want. And Jonah had an idol in his heart, and it was Jonah. And he goes his own way. And when we pursue our own idols, we actually are less satisfied we are dissatisfied in, in what those idols bring us. We think they're going to bring us everything we could ever want and more. But they let you down every single time. You see, there is only fulfillment in the presence of God. There is only fulfillment in fulfilling the mission that God has called you to do. Jonah missed out on that fulfillment. Now some of you right now you know exactly what the Lord's calling you to do. You know that exact neighbor or that exact friend or that exact coworker that you are called to share the gospel with that you have been like, I don't want to say anything. Others of you know what you are called to do in following the Lord in obedience to him, whether it's baptism, maybe being a church member here, maybe the Lord's tugged at your heart in that. Whatever it is, friends, don't be like Jonah repent. Jonah would have rather died than obey the Lord. He would have rather died at the bottom of the sea, but the Lord wasn't done with Jonah yet. And the fact that you are still breathing and you're in this building right now means that the Lord's not done with you yet. He is a merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Psalms say that over and over and over again. But friends, his discipline and how he loves is scary. He sends the storm because he loves Jonah. He lets Jonah get swallowed up by a giant fish because he loves Jonah. And I I don't know about you. I like fishing, but I don't like the smell of fish. Gets on your hands. That's on the outside of the fish. 
Imagine being on the inside of a fish. What's amazing is this. I told you that God mercifully and sovereignly pursues you if you are in him, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he pursues you. But there might be some people in here this morning who you have never placed your trust in Jesus. You believe in a generic God. You're here this morning. I'm so thankful that you are. But you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior. You, you've never given your life over to the Lord. Well, friends, I, I have a really wonderful message for you. God actually pursues you as well. He pursues you in the fact that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you too. To die for your sins. And friends, we know we're all sinners. This church, good-looking church, we have a lot of nice people here, but we are a church full of sinners. And we're a church full of sinners forgiven by the grace of Jesus Christ. And don't let our niceness fool you. We had to come to Jesus. We had to repent. And friends, I would beg you to repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for you, that he rose again on the third day, and that by placing your trust in him, you will be saved. And friends, for, for most of you who do already profess Jesus as Lord, are you living for him or are you running from him? Are you living for him somewhat to a certain point? But have you reached your Nineveh moment? I'm not doing that, Lord. I'm not doing that. Friends, stop running and come back to the Lord.